0: Okay, let's go ahead and let's look at our scripture. Um, if you'll remember, it's, uh, it's been 10 years. I've been the pastor here for 10 years and one week, actually, now. And uh, we're starting a new sermon series. It's just five weeks, but it's greatest hits of Redeemer. And so I figured I've preached about 450 uh, sermons, and I'm picking five of those out of those 10 years. And it, it doesn't matter as much which sermons I've been impacted by the most, What matters most is sermons that you've been impacted uh, the most. So I want to know which of these five sermons to preach. So this sermon, I'm going to be preaching on Peter's denial and restoration. And this, uh, one of the members of the congregation emailed me. This was a sermon I preached in uh, 2017, Palm Sunday. So she's getting to hear her favorite sermon. Uh, Let me know if you have one, because there are four more after that before we start a new sermon series. Okay, this scripture is Luke twenty-two forty-seven 47 through 62. This is Peter's denial of Jesus Christ. While Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness." Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had killed a fire, kindled a fire, excuse me, in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him. And said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is God's word. Well, we recently got Disney Plus. Anybody got Disney Plus? It, uh, we uh, upgraded our Fios service because everybody's working out of the home, and we got a free, uh, a free subscription of Disney Plus. And there are some great old Disney movies. We watched one recently and uh, it reminded me of a movie, because it was all about heroics, this particular movie. And I thought one of the finest movies about heroics that I've ever seen is the movie Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know if you remember that movie uh, where the main character was played by Andrew Garfield of Spider-Man fame. He was a World War II uh, medic. And uh, basically he was also a non-combatant, meaning he, w- he uh, refused to carry a firearm but he believed it good and right for him to be on the front lines helping out his fellow soldiers. So he fought for the right to be unarmed on the front lines and a medic uh, in the army. And it's the story, first of all, of all the persecution he faced trying to become a medic, and then his heroic effort where he actually ended up saving tens of people, I think it was like 75 people, in this particular battle on Hacksaw Ridge. And uh, apparently it's a true story. Uh, not just based on a true story, true story. and uh, So it was amazing to see the heroics of this young man. It really was his finest hour uh, that we got to see portrayed on the screen. And as I saw him in the, in the midst of this, you know, unarmed, uh, fighting for the lives of his fellow soldiers, I thought to myself, what would I do if I was in the same situation? Would this also be my finest hour to step up in the midst of this conflict and decision. Well, I think there's one thing we can say about this passage, about Peter, if anything, and that is that this is Peter's, not Peter's finest hour, is it? Indeed, it's his worst hour. Now, one of the reasons we know the Gospels are true is because of their willingness to openly and honestly paint the disciples as they truly were. As I ask the same question about myself and Andrew Garfield in that movie, I have to though ask myself as well and reflect upon myself, what would I do if I was put in the same situation as Peter? Surrounded by people at that campfire saying, this man was with him as well, with all the might of the Roman army all around him. Would I stand? with Jesus Christ, yes, I too am a follower? Or would I deny him? Would I betray him? If there's one thing we're learning about this world that has no place for a person like Peter. We live in a cancel culture where it's all too easy to look at the sins of others and to cancel them out, to write them off, and never to look at our own sin because the world demands perfection especially from its leaders the world has no place for a peter but the question i want to ask is this does jesus does jesus have place a place in his heart for a denier and a betrayer like peter for that's what he was well this isn't the end of the story for peter we know we see only 50 days later a Peter who's bold and brave, standing up in front of thousands, proclaiming Christ fearlessly. And I want to suggest to you that what happened to Peter here, his brokenness and denial is instrumental in bringing about the bold Peter who refused to be crucified and demanded to be crucified upside down instead later on in life because he was unworthy to die as his Savior did. We must learn the lesson of Peter that it's only the broken who can receive the blessing of Christ. Yes, it's only the broken who can and will receive the blessing of Christ. We're going to look at three specific points in the next three hours we have together. Number one, the reason for Peter's fall. Why is it that Peter fell from such great heights? Number two, the results of Peter's fall. How it changed Peter's life. And then finally, the redemption that came from Peter's fall. For it's only the broken who can receive the blessing of Christ. Let's begin with my first point, the reason for Peter's fall, the reasons for Peter's fall. A little background here, as I said this sermon was preached on Palm Sunday, we've come sort of to the end of the story, the Last Supper has already occurred. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and Jesus has said, one of you is going to betray me and all of them have said, not I, not I. And Jesus has said, indeed you all will fall away. And Peter proclaimed these words, Even if all fall away, I will not. Boldly, defiantly, against Jesus' prediction. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, You yourself will disown me three times. And it says, but Peter insisted emphatically, I'm reading from Mark, a parallel Uh, gospel account. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Well, they've gone out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus has prayed and here come the armies. Uh, uh, Here comes the army. uh, It's the Jerusalem temple guard along with the priests and the elders and Judas leading them and he betrays the Son of Man with a kiss. And one of the disciples says, shall I strike them with a sword? And Luke 22:50 50 says, as one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this, and he touched his ear and healed him. We know that this one who struck the servant was Peter. And with the accuracy of a fisherman, he cut off his ear instead of his head. But Peter begins quite boldly. But after that, it all falls apart. It says that all of the disciples after this fled they ran from the scene indeed one was so desperate to get away and one of the uh, uh, one of the army guards had grabbed his cloak that literally he ran out of his garment naked fleeing into the woods so afraid he was they all fled but all not fled but not all of them fled away because we see that peter decides to follow the crowd with jesus At a distance. Quite ironic language, right? Peter's following Jesus at a distance. Why is Peter following and not fleeing away? Perhaps echoing in his head are his earlier words even if all fall away, I will never fall away, even if I have to die. Peter wants to run, and yet he can't run. And so he follows. And Luke 22, 55 says, And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Blending in, if you will, the first guerrilla disciple. And there was talk and there was torture. For Jesus was being betrayed and tortured right there and then. And the denials, it didn't take long before the denials came. Verse 56, Then a servant girl, seeing him, as he sat in the light, and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. This was Peter's opportunity, if you will, to redeem himself, right? That he was keeping a low profile, but he was called out in front of the crowd. And he could have and should have stood up and said, yes, I too am a follower of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Put your trust in him. But he didn't say that as the crowd peered at him. Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of him. But Peter said, man, I am not. Again, it became deeper and more and more challenging and difficult to stand up after the first denial and then the second. And then after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. And it says in Mark 14, 71, he began to call down curses on himself. And he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. In other words, he began to literally curse, may God damn me if I am telling you a, a lie. And may God damn you as well. He's, he's arguing as forcefully as possible to push the light of suspicion off of me onto someone else. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Why did he keep staying? I mean, after the first denial, he could have got up, right? I mean, the, the temperature was rising There was the possibility of being discovered. He should have ran. But he couldn't, even if I have to die, was echoing in his head. I mean, why did Peter not speak up? He was bold and he was strong and, I mean, he had done miracles in Jesus' name with the power that Jesus had given him. He had seen who Jesus was. Peter was a bold, brash fisherman Self-made man. The answer really is quite simple. Self-preservation. Peter loved his life more than he loved Jesus'. And I think we can relate to Peter, can't we? If you're a Christian, we've all had opportunity at some time or another when the opportunity presented itself to speak up for Christ and we said nothing. I doubt it's because there was danger of us losing our life, but maybe our reputation, maybe the disapproval of the crowd or a friend or a family member. And so we said nothing, just blending in. See, what is the reason for Peter's fall? When you really sum it up, what was the reason for Peter's fall? It was pride. It was pride in his ability. Peter saw himself as a strong, self-made man. I mean, even Jesus called him the rock. He didn't fear anyone, or so he thought. Peter had pride in his ability to stand on his two feet, to do the right thing, and so that's why he said to Jesus, I will never fall away. He had pride in his abilities and he had pride by comparison. As he looked at all the other disciples, he said, even if all of those fall away, I'm not going to fall away because I'm tougher and I'm stronger and I know the right thing and I can stand on my two feet. And so you have my sword, Lord. You have my allegiance. See, that really was the problem for Peter. Peter was looking for a king. He doesn't need a savior. Because a savior, if you're looking for a savior, means I'm broken. Means I'm helpless. Means I'm a sinner. That I'm flawed. And that I'm a hypocrite. Peter has not come face to face with himself until now. He thought that he was indestructible and he realized right here and then that he was not. Reminds me about that story about that boat that was too big to sink, right? The Titanic, 1912. More than twice the displacement of the biggest battleship. It was as long as four city blocks capable of carrying more than 3,000 people in unparalleled luxury. It was stupendous and admirable. When people stood by it, they said they felt like ants next to it. And it was the culmination of the most self-confident decade in human history. Well, the designers of the Titanic made it immune to collision with any other existing vessel. But they had forgotten that nature puts far more massive objects in the sea than any man can. They had devised powerful machines for installing the three and a half million rivets to put together the Titanic. But they hadn't fully thought about what cold could do to rivets. They'd installed Marconi's new radio that was on other ships. But they weren't bothering to listen to any sort of warning from anyone else about icebergs. Rather, the radio was clogged with first-class passengers who were on the line communicating something to the effect of, I'm on the Titanic. Isn't this great? 1,517 people lost their lives that day, plunging down two miles to the ocean floor. They thought they were indestructible, but they were not. Well, what about you and what about me? I think there's a little Peter in all of us, maybe more than a little Peter. Because we think that we too are strong and unwavering, faithful, indestructible, And Jesus, it's easy to see Jesus as a king who we give our strong powers and our allegiance to. We'll be a part of your cause. Aren't you glad to have us? He's a king who we give our allegiance to, not a savior that we need to give our sins to. And so our confidence is not in him, but in ourselves. Jesus is not our savior. He's our validator. I mean, look at how I serve the church and I give my time and I give my money and I give my energy. Of course Jesus is proud of me. Of course he would want me on his team. Or maybe it's my morality that I look to, to justify myself, that I do the right things, that I'm not like all of those other people. Even if all fall away, I will never. Maybe it's my accomplishments that I'm counting on, my degrees on my wall, my connections in the community. But you see, my friends, Jesus came into the world not to save successful people, but to save failures. All of us have denied him. All of us have said, myself over you, God, and all have fallen away. See, there are only really two types of people in the world. Those who are traitors to God and those who know they're traitors to God. So which one are you? Until you recognize that you're just like Peter, Jesus can't and won't do anything with you because it's only the broken who receive the blessing of Christ. Well, let's look at the results of Peter's fall, point number two. This was the worst night of Peter's life, when everything fell apart. See, Peter is straddling the fence, and there's something that happens when you straddle the fence. You're no nearer to anyone. You're pulled in opposite directions. You have no peace. And so when they kindled that fire, Peter sat down, and he was so proud and then so quiet, trying to blend in. We've all felt like that, trying to blend in. I think it's fascinating that the first girl, the first person to begin to undo him was the slave girl. She was young, she was female, and she was a slave. It's about as low on the totem pole that you can get in, in uh, that period of time. Her testimony had zero validity in court. And yet there is a spike of fear in Peter's heart when she brings the accusation. He was so afraid. Why was he so afraid? It says in Luke twenty-two sixty-three. now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. The NIV says, as they began to beat him, but that's not what the Greek says, as they beat him, they blindfolded him and demanded prophecy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. In other words, the torture of Jesus Christ, the beating of Jesus Christ is going on within eyeshot and earshot of Peter. And Peter is seeing what's happening to Jesus and what's going to happen or what could possibly happen to me if I say, yes, indeed, I am with this man. The last, uh, the, the final denial, it says, was about an hour later. So this is going on for about an hour. This, this mockery of what they're doing to Jesus Christ in eyeshot and earshot. Peter is afraid What do you think they're talking about the fire, uh, around the fire? What do you think they're gonna do to Jesus? Oh, they're gonna crucify him. No question. What do you think they're gonna do to his followers? I hear they're looking for his followers even right now that there were 12 of these guys. Oh, they're gonna find him. And when they find them, they're gonna do the same thing to them that they did to Jesus. Peter is frozen. He loves Jesus. He genuinely does. He can't leave and he can't go. He's helpless. And each time he denies, it becomes harder and harder to say and do the right thing. It says at the very end, after the first denial and the second denial and the third denial, when Peter calls down curses, it says that the Lord turned, verse 61, and looked at Peter. In other words, Peter could see what they were doing to Jesus and Jesus could see what Peter was doing to him. What do you think was in that look that Jesus gave Peter? It wasn't hatred. I mean, the reason that Jesus was going through all of this was to rescue Peter from his sins. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. He said it. Now, I think the thing that was in Jesus' eyes, was love. And that hurt the most. I love you, Peter. Even when you're denying me, I love you. And it says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. In the end, I wonder what was worse for Peter. To deny Jesus, to straddle the fence like he was doing, or to stand with Jesus to receive the physical pain and punishment or to undergo the psychological and spiritual pain of knowing that he had betrayed the Lord to the Lord's face. I think it was the spiritual pain of the denial and the betrayal. See, all of us have felt like Peter. It's hard to follow Jesus, but it's even harder to follow him halfway. It reminds me of my, one of my favorite theologians, Garth Brooks, that great Ph.D., Garth Brooks. He wrote a song uh, that I think is very applicable, and it's, a, it's about straddling the fence. It's called Standing Outside the Fire, an oldie but a goodie. It talks about two different people. One is, we call them, uh, this one group of people, we call them cool, those hearts that have no scars to show, the ones that never do let go and risk the tables being turned we call them fools who have to dance within the flame who chance the sorrow and the shame that always comes with getting burned see two groups the cool and the fools the first group we call them strong those who can face this world alone who seem to get by on their own those who will never take the fall and then the second group we call them weak who are unable to resist the slightest chance love might exist and for that forsake it all. The first group, they're so hell-bent. Oh, excuse me, the second group, they're so hell-bent on giving, walking a wire, convinced it's not living if you stand outside the fire. See, the truth, my friends, is it's not worth it to live a halfway life. It's more pain, it's more suffering in the end than being all in. But the reality is, for some of us, that's exactly the way we live. We're one way on Sunday, and then we're another way the rest of the week, following Jesus, but at a distance. In the midst of the crowd, afraid to give our entire heart to Jesus Christ, afraid to trust in his love, afraid to trust in his salvation. We're sitting down with everyone else because we so desperately want the approval of the crowd. The first denial was hard, but it's become harder and harder to stand for Jesus Christ with each denial and the way that we talk and the way that we live. But you see, my friends, the power is in surrender. We think that our problem is we're too weak, It's exactly the opposite. The problem is you're too strong. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It's when you recognize that you're broken, that you need a Savior, that you need help, is when Christ shows up and is strongest for you and for me. For even youths grow weary and men stumble and fall, but they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall soar on wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not be faint. The solution should have been Peter's solution. It certainly is ours to be all in. All in my devotion to Jesus. All in with my dependence on him. You think you're strong, but you're not strong in yourself. So why don't we choose instead to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power? Peter had to learn that he had no power. Have you? Until you do, you're standing outside the fire because it's only the broken who receive the blessing of Christ. Well, this brings me to my final point, the redemption that came from Peter's fall. You know, there are two main people in the story about betrayal and denial of Jesus. One is Peter, the other is Judas. Judas the one who betrayed him with a kiss. And it's interesting, we actually see that both men are sorry and sad about what they did. It says that Judas was seized with remorse and he took the money that he had gotten and he went to the chief priest and said, I have betrayed innocent blood, take this money back. And they said, we don't want it. It's yours, be gone. But there was a difference in their Sadness. Peter was sorry for his sin. Judas was sorry for himself. And so Judas, in the end, saw no opportunity for redemption. He never really knew Jesus Christ. He went and hung himself. But somewhere... In the dim recesses of Peter's mind, he remembered what Jesus said that night Oh, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. There must have been an even bigger glimmer of hope when he heard about the resurrection that Jesus Christ was not at the tomb, that it was empty. And the words began to stream back where he said, The Son of Man must be betrayed and go into the heart of the earth, and three days later to rise. Until that one day where they were fishing on the water because they didn't know what else to do. And there was a person calling to them from the shore, just like Jesus had done that first time Do you have any fish to eat? It's the Lord, they said. And Peter jumped into the water, clothes and all, to begin swimming. And there on that beach, over another fire, just like that original one, Jesus restores Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Three questions for three denials. Peter, do you love me? You know all things, Lord. You know my heart. Even though it's broken, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Peter. In other words, you're not disqualified. You're still mine. And 50 days later on Pentecost, we see Peter in the same place where he had denied knowing Jesus to a servant girl, speaking in front of thousands, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. It wasn't like the Roman garrisons had taken off somewhere on vacation. They were still there. But Peter didn't care. See, Peter's heart had been set free. Peter knew that Jesus Christ knew him at his worst and loved him anyways. Do you know that? Do you believe that? That if Jesus really saw my heart, really knew me on the inside, that he would not reject me, but he would love me anyways. See, that's how your heart gets set free. We have to follow the path of Peter. I conclude with this thought. We have to give up on ourselves. Only then we can see Jesus for who he is. So stop living a halfway life. Put your trust fully in him and in his love. And when you experience his grace, that Jesus knows me at my worst and loves me anyways, then you will begin to know grace for the very first time. It's a grace that makes your heart full. It's a grace that gives you courage and desire to speak and to love, to tell the world about this treasure that you have found. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came for broken hypocrites like you and me. I hope you know it. Because it's only the broken who can receive the blessing of Christ. took quite a road for Peter to figure that out. Maybe it's time that you came to the end of that road yourself. Give up on yourself. Receive all of His grace. All of His love. It's there, waiting for you, like it always has been. Let's pray. Oh God, if I would just stop trusting in myself, if I would just take off the glasses, and see the reality that I don't need a king who I can give my allegiance to. I need a savior who I can give my sins to. Jesus, you are that savior who knows everything about me and loves me anyways. I pray that no one would walk out of this room without having given their heart and their life to the one who gives life to our lives. Jesus Christ, the one who triumphed over the grave, the one who triumphed over sin and sorrow and lives that we might have life in his name. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.